This episode is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash RFR for your free audiobook download. A small rebel force has penetrated the shield and landed on Endor. This is where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. I got to tell you, Jimmy Mac, I got a little uh, melancholy listening to the best of George Lucas. Oh, did you now? Well, you know, it's, it's the end of an era. You know, I mean, George is not going to be playing the big role that he's played for the last 35 years in the Star Wars universe. I mean, he's certainly a massive figure, a massive figurehead, but uh, I don't know. You know, he was so hands-on there for a while, showing up at conventions and... Know, getting tasered by Jimmy Mac at special events and things like that, but uh, just feeling like this was almost like his swan song here at Rebel Force Radio. Well, you know, there are events that happened in George's life recently that motivated me to want to put that show together. And for those listeners who aren't aware, we did release a show on our vacation week. By the way, Jason, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. I feel bad because... I was on vacation, and you were working on the best of George Lucas. <laughs> well, no, I got I, I did get some downtime, which was great. That's and good. so when I uh, returned, I emerged uh, like uh, stronger than ever. Like when Luke Skywalker came up from the grasp of the Dianoga and the trash compactor on the Death Star, he came out of that stronger. And that's that kind of like how my vacation was, uh, <laughs> spinning it in a trash compactor. But that's an, another story for another podcast. So you emerged and you thought, well, now's the time to release the best of GL. So we put together an episode of the show that we released last week called Lightspeed, the best of George Lucas. And it just featured a lot of different cool encounters that you and me have had with GL over the years, specifically the, the banquet they threw for him at the Four Seasons in Chicago for the Gene Siskel Center and Star Wars Celebration 5, mm. and uh, boy, what else did we have in there? We had all kind of great stuff, and stuff we'd never released before. Really long, extended cuts of George on stage and things like the main event. Right, right. With, with right, John Stewart. Right. Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher up there on the stage. And you, I mean, the, the one thing, I mean, it's, it's a very, you know, it's brief, but the fact was, if I remember the story right, you were the first person to get the future miss at the time the future mrs george lucas melody hobson to actually talk a little star wars this is true steve sansui told us when we were at c2e2 2010 he came up to me and first he said why didn't you let him talk because i did talk a little too much about myself there but like i said i wanted to go at george as a fan and say hey thanks you know so That's i right. felt like I should maybe explain myself a little bit before I... Let's let's face it. It was as much your moment as it was his. It was more my moment. Um, So Steve Sansweet said to me, hey, I believe 
that's the first time anyone has ever talked to Melody about Star Wars. And so I thought, wow, that was great. And then I, so I really followed her closely and paid attention to interviews she was doing. And he was right. She rarely talks about the wars, except to one other person, and that's Oprah Winfrey. She's the only other person to talk to Melody about Star Wars. Well, you know, your name comes up a lot, Jim, when we people talk about Oprah Winfrey. Usually you're the second name. It's always about Oprah and Jimmy Mack. So well, you know, natural. strange bedfellows. Right. Um, Both from <clears throat> Chicago. That's right. That's right. That's uh, probably where the connection begins and ends. <laughs> but um, well, All three of you, uh, Melody and Oprah and Jimmy Mack, all from Chicago and President Obama. Coincidence? <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> okay, so as far as clout, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we released this special, and so that was a lot of fun to put that out there, and uh, we've got some great feedback. So if you haven't heard it yet, what are you waiting for? Go to Shot Glass Digital, iTunes, Stitchers, anywhere else you get Star Wars podcasts or any kind of podcast. You'll find it there. It's called Lightspeed the yeah. best of George Lucas. Well, you are here at the right place if you're a Star Wars fan. Uh, we're just fresh back from our summer vacation, and it went oh so fast. Actually, I didn't have much of a summer vacation because I was really busy with my day job, which is kind of like my night job and my day job now, uh, in the theater district up in Cleveland, and we have uh, The Lion King in town. And, man, that is, that's quite an endeavor that show oh, yeah. mm-hmm. so uh but it's been it's been a lot of fun but um great to be back with you and if you're new to the program we should just mention uh my name is jason and uh with me of course jimmy mack hey jason hey star wars fans looking forward to uh having a lot of fun tonight this week on rebel force radio we're gonna cover everything happening in star wars including news from films television books and Baseball. That's right. You heard me right. I said baseball. Plus, we have two signed copies of Troy Denning's Star Wars Crucible to give away. So you keep listening to the show, and you will hear details on how you can win later. And uh, we'll have some listener feedback, Billy D. Quote of the Week. So much more happening this week on Rebel Force Radio. That's right. And just to give you a small taste of why you need to check out that Best of George Lucas, maybe remember this little ditty. I'm back from the ranch, lightsaber in my pocket, jump into my X-Wing, take off like a rocket, a ton in the bank, melody on my arm, Death Star's approaching, so raise the alarm. Fighting with the critics over Howard the Duck, I read their reviews, I said, what the f***? I hip and I hop with Jar Jar and Mace, Greedo shot first, so in your face. I hope someday I win a hip-hop award. I like to play with my laser sword. I'm taking off. I think we're set to get some gin and juice with Boba Fett. Punch it. So wizard. GL. Out. Good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. Speaking of George Lucas. George Lucas! I can't say that without thinking of that. Uh, he has uh, popped up on uh, a DVD. Now, this, this disturbs me. If I'm reading this story right, 
Notorious GL didn't even make the real cut. He's on the bonus features. Apparently, there is a documentary out called uh, Trek Nation, and this chronicles uh, Gene Roddenberry's son, Rod, his, his journey to explore the strange new world. No, the importance of the legendary sci-fi franchise that was, of course, created by his father, the late Gene Roddenberry. So this thing, this is hit DVD recently, and in the bonus materials, not even like in the real <laughs> proper documentary, <laughs> is an interview with George. They put him in a place where you scoop things up from the cutting room floor and just dump them on to a bonus thing. Now, why, so why do you think that is? Because obviously a sit-down with George Lucas is rare to acquire, and for him to sit down and talk about a franchise that begins with Star and isn't his own must be kind of even more difficult to pull off. So why do you think he would end up on the cutting room floor? Why bury this thing? Why bury this thing? Unless the rivalry... Maybe it was just like, it's just so poignant that it deserves its own space. Or maybe, maybe they perceive problems with the Star Trek fan community as far as accepting listening to George Lucas talk about their, you know, beloved Star Trek that they want to make it an option because it's so offensive <laughs> to see George well, Lucas in a Star Trek documentary. At least it is for me. Damn it. So, <laughs> well, none of us. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I remember the George Lucas AFI tribute and William Shatner saying my way, a special version of Sinatra's my way to the notorious GL. And I, I thought that was a Star Wars fan. I thought that was really funny. I don't mind the crossovers either. I just think that it's almost my job to sort of root tweak, against, tweak the Trekkies a little bit. Root against yeah. the Trek a little bit. Okay. Just from Star Wars fan point. Maybe I've seen fanboys way too many times. Mm. Maybe I think I'm like channeling Hutch or something cool like that. Trekkie bitches? Yeah, stuff like that. Spock yeah. sucking Kirk lovers, you know. <laughs> Get out of here, you Kirk loving Spock suckers. Well, anyway, so this thing is on the bonus disc. It's a two-DVD set, and uh, it's probably pretty good. I, I as, a, as a one who dabbles in Trek here and there, I, I probably would, would enjoy this thing. Though, I got to say, uh, Rod r- rubbed me the wrong way. That's hard to say. Rod rubbed me the wrong way. Say that three times fast. Uh, this goes back to, golly, October 2010. You might have remembered, might remember this story where uh, Rod Roddenberry was uh, interviewed and, and he was talking about uh, looking back on the cancellation of the, I think it was the fourth, I believe, the fourth or the fifth Star Trek series uh, Enterprise and when it was canceled and and how he felt about uh, the J.J. Abrams reboot. And the, the subject of Star Wars came up because at the time, Jim, as you'll recall, everybody was saying that, you know, the Star Trek film was just like, it's like, Star Trek meets Star Wars, and it was a great Star Wars film, but a bad Star Trek film. There was some of the criticism. And uh, he said, the last thing I want it to do, it being the Star Star Trek franchise, is to become Star Wars. That doesn't deal with ethics, humanity, the human potential. We don't want science fiction that doesn't have a statement about the positive attributes of humanity as well as learning from our negative ones. And uh, I took a little offense at that, and I thought, well, how silly of this guy to, to... I'm sure have seen the Star Wars films and not come away with uh, some sort of 
statement about the positive attributes and the negative ones. Hello, light side, dark side. I mean, how, I don't know how much simpler we can break it down for this guy. So, you know, we've had a, a, a love-hate relationship with Rod Roddenberry here on the show, and I think uh, it's just moved to pretty much hate now that he's buried George Lucas to the, <laughs> the second disc of his documentary. Um, that's that's going to be the, uh, the judging point. Is, I think so. But you found a clip of this thing, right? I sure did, yeah. We, we picked up this clip. It was actually a, given to Hero Complex uh, at the L.A. Times. We have some buddies over there, and uh, they were uh, happy to share this clip with us. It's George Lucas from the recently released DVD Trek Nation, Disc 2, <laughs> talking about Star Trek and, and how, to, how he believes, at least for this interview, he believes that Star Trek opened up the doors for Star Wars. Star Trek softened up the uh, entertainment arena so that Star Wars could come along and stand on its shoulders. And there was an effective group of people in the beginning who accepted it. That it wasn't that far out. For the studios, it was way far out. You know, what is this? But there was a fan base out there. The fan base was primarily the Star Trek fan base who understood science fiction, understood visual science fiction, and was ready for something like this to be in the feature arena. So they all understood it at the time, except Rod, Gene's own son. He still doesn't get Star Wars. Um, but that's interesting. You know, George said that Star Wars stood on the shoulders of Star Trek. And uh, I always remembered, this is, again, one of those things that you kind of just, as a Star Wars fan that was into you know George Lucas kind of growing up I I always remember there being an influence a, a factor there that uh, and I, I like what the way George put it I I don't think he's ever been quite this this pointed in his uh, uh, feeling about Trek that it really did soften the marketplace it it allowed for popular culture to accept that type of as he says visual science fiction to uh, uh, you know, uh, be uh, considered legit. And that, I think that that's great for him to acknowledge that. I do, um, but I think that there are things that are being ignored that probably played a much larger role in developing a ready-made fan base for Star Wars. True, the trucks were the first to really become organized behind a fictional event, namely the Star Trek television series. But what really propelled Trek was the fan devotion to it in the 70s. And there's something that I really think made that fan devotion just sort of put it on steroids, if you will. And that is very simply the space race, real world events. A man lands on the moon in 1969. All of the sudden, Everyone's thinking about space. Mm. It's on the public's mind. So what happens? Star Trek has a revival. And you see Star Trek conventions sprouting up all of a sudden. As far as the feature arena goes, something that happened in 1968 was 2001 A Space Odyssey. Again, proving that there is an audience, a feature film audience, for movies in space. 
and I and I you know I, I don't mean to dismiss Star Trek, but I think that definitely the real world events of the space race and the fact that the United States landed a man on the moon in 1969 propelled public interest in all things having to do with the cosmos. So that's uh, but I, I like it. You know, it, it's it's a nice sentiment to say that Star Wars got a boost from Trek. Maybe here in the next couple weeks on Rebel Force Radio, we'll be playing some more highlights from that specific interview. I'm going to look it up on Amazon right now, see what they're, see what they're charging for this thing. Trek Nation, right? Right. Trek Nation. Well, you know, I can't uh, get it on Netflix because, uh, or instant video because the bonus features are probably not available. And in order to see the George interview, i got to get the bonus features. What's well, maybe on? that's why he put George on disc, too, was to boost physical sales of the hey, DVD. Now, no, wait a minute, though. That's not a stretch. No, it's not. That is not a stretch, my friend. I bought Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress Criterion Edition simply for the fact that it had bonus feature George Lucas interview. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's worth it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it was definitely worth it. Because you really, you watch the interview, then you watch the film, and it makes sense. Oh, yeah, I see Star Wars in Hidden Fortress. And then when you watch Star Wars, you see Hidden Fortress in there. It's not exactly, you know, they don't hit you over the head with these connections between the two films. But once you get it, you see it pretty clearly. And I know a lot of listeners have heard people talk about Akira Kurosawa and the effect he had on George Lucas. But, you know, I mean, you can't downplay it. And I encourage Star Wars fans to check it out because it might enhance your understanding of what Star Wars is all about once you scratch beneath the surface a little bit. You know, we talk about a lot of things like the Force and, um, and uh, you know, all, all kind of trivia and behind-the-scenes stuff and everything. But to really get to the core of Star Wars, you want to understand the influences of George Lucas. And that's what I always like about Paul Bateman is he takes that approach all the time. And his really like expanded his artistic knowledge and being a professional artist, it's just such a benefit to him, but it's expanded his artistic knowledge of specifically star Wars because he has gone and sought out all of George's influences from Kurosawa to uh, comic books by Mobius and, and the things that influenced Ralph McQuarrie too, along the way to just get that really full, rich understanding of where it all comes from because star Wars is this evolution of the storytelling process. And whenever you get an opportunity to get inside George Lucas's mind, be it on the Criterion edition of Hidden Fortress or be it on Trek Nation, disc two, <laughs> whenever you can get inside his mind and sort of see what's ticking in there, you start to understand where he bases his archetypes on that creates Star Wars, the character archetypes, the, the ideas, the actual physical ideas that he has as far as creation of the look and the, uh, the influence on a spiritual level, too. So, you know, there's just, that's what make, keeps us coming back to Star Wars all the time is that you can look at it in so many different ways and get a different appreciation of it every time you, you take these, these detours, if you will. 
Oh, not, more on Star not, Wars. Yeah, detours. I was going to say mean, not Star Wars detours. No. <laughs> We're not going to be seeing any of that for a while. Not for a while. But if you are uh, looking for uh, Akira Kurosawa, if you haven't done it, uh, they are available from time to time. In fact, I think there's one right now. What is it? Madeo? How do you pronounce that? Madeo? I, I think no it's idea. his last film. Uh, but they're available on Hulu Plus. If you have a subscription to Hulu Plus, uh, they have a lot of the, uh, the Criterion collection, and that includes, uh, I think, most, if not all, of uh, Kurosawa's films have been remastered and, and released as Criterion editions, and uh, they, they are available on Hulu Plus. So not all of them at the same time, but uh, they do rotate them through. So there's always one available, at least. Sometime in the summer, let's get Paul on the show and just discuss some of these things that influenced George Lucas as he created the original Star Wars, A New Hope, and pick his mind and get into some of his knowledge about where certain things have come from. Because he shocks me with the things he digs up as far as design influences or plot similarities from certain things of the past. Well, and what's, 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 what's mind-blowing about the, the connections that Paul draws is that they're not the obvious ones that, that everybody knows of that's been written in a bunch of books. I mean, Paul pulls out some really, really bizarre, strange stuff and makes these very compelling connections. Um, and uh, I think that people do, though, tend to forget what a just how much of a, a geek... I know, Jim, you're not, that's not your favorite word, but that, that George was. I mean, George was into comic books. He was into superhero serials. He was into all. I think that if George hadn't become George, he probably would still be going to Comic-Con and different conventions. He's, he, he was into it. Well, keep in mind, he was part owner of a New York comic shop back in the mid-'70s called Super Snipe. So, yeah, he wore his geek badge on his shirt and said it loud and said proud. And by the way, I don't mind geek. Uh, I just get I don't like hearing nerd. That's the one. Nerd, I yeah, right, right. By the way, the um, uh, so you know, Trek Nation is available for free right now on Netflix. So if you have a Netflix subscription, you can watch it. But I, I doubt that the bonus features are available. No bonus for no you. Bonus, yeah. So anyway, well, that's cool stuff. We'll, we'll uh, I, as Jimmy mentioned, we'll try to get uh, bring more of that to you uh, to spare you having to watch Trek Nation if you are so. Inclined. That's a public service. Disinclined, I should say. Yeah, as a right, as a public service. So I have a question. So get this, right? Uh, we all know, of course, the great story about Sam Jackson landing the role in episode one uh, because he was on a on a radio show. If I remember the, this is now urban legend, but um, I believe it's rooted in truth that uh, he was sort of on his own little PR campaign. He was coming off of, um, you know, Sam Jackson's one of those guys who's been around forever, been in a lot of movies, but it was really Pulp Fiction. Uh, it really put him over. He was in that third Die Hard movie, and some of these roles gave him got him some serious attention. And he was really uh, rallying his fans and and you know anybody that would listen to get a role in Episode One. He said he said he would play. Didn't he say he'd play a, a stormtrooper? Yeah, he, uh, he did. didn't even care I mean, if he I was wearing a helmet, right? There's really nothing that's urban legend about it. Um, you can footnote this. There were many times he was on the interview circuit saying, I want to be on Star Wars. And I believe it was specifically in an interview he did in the UK back in the mid-90s. And uh, I, I'd like to try and find that if I could, but uh, I probably won't. So um, I know for a fact, though, that 
he was doing this. He was lobbying publicly to get a role in Star Wars. And when George Lucas heard this, he said, uh, call him in. So <laughs> they sat down and he knew right away who he wanted Sam to play. Hmm. Well, so he got the role, obviously. He got a, got a big role. He was second only to Yoda on the Jedi Council. His role could have been bigger. It, yeah, I suppose it could have been bigger. I don't want to be all like, uh, let's just bag on the prequels now. But Sam Jackson, Mace Windu, that was a, a, I believe, that was an underutilized character and actor, for that matter. Mm. That's just you know, a little personal opinion. I'm, I'm not taking a dig at the prequels, but I'm just saying. You're a hater, aren't you, Jimmy Mack? <laughs> you're a hater. So you're saying that the character was underutilized. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. I think there could have been something bigger for him to do in the grand scheme of things. Other than to be the final straw that turned Anakin from Anakin into Darth Vader? I mean, that's a pretty significant plot point. Of course it is, but leading up to that... Or for you EU fans, a shatter point. Listen, leading up to that, I wanted to know more about Mace. Yeah, but I you could say that about any character in Star Wars. You need a prequel about the prequel? Yeah, but Sam, is he's like, you know, just such a dynamic personality on screen and such a super strong actor. And he really had to dial it down a lot for Star Wars. I mean, that's probably what makes him such a good actor is the fact that he can do that and still come off as being believable. He was very subdued, yes, as Windu. I, I would say boring. He was a subdued say- dude. And, uh, you know, especially when you compare, you know, the, the fiery intensity of his characters in the monologues he's famous for doing in films. I would have liked to have seen that potential tapped a little bit more for Star Wars. Doesn't it feel like when you're watching him in those films uh, that he's holding back? He's holding back. Yeah, I think you're right on that. Holding back. He's holding he, me back. He can he can say more than a whole sheet of dialogue with just a simple stare into the camera lens because yeah, that's is, what yeah. kind of great presence he is on screen have you heard him ever heard him read go the f- to sleep no oh my god dude it's it's fantastic it's a <laughs> you've not heard this is this something you could get from audible.com actually i think you can it's uh it's a children's book but it's really for parents Obviously, it's, it's narrated by Sam Jackson, and uh, you know it's it's this sort of sing songy kind of uh, oh what's the what's the book the uh, oh the famous one about the old lady whispering hush and this doing mush and good night good night moon right is kind of like that but it's go the f- to sleep the cats nestle close to their kittens the lambs have laid down with the sheep. You're cozy and warm in your bed, my dear. Please go the f- to sleep. I can't. <laughs> you got to you got to check this out. What a brilliant concept. Uh, anyway, narrated by the you know Samuel L. Jackson. Who better to tell your kid to go to sleep than Sam Jackson? But uh, you're right. I, I it's not urban legend. It it, it is true. Um, but it is one of those. I guess what I was trying to say it's it, it's become legend, you know, the story of how he he rallied and uh, lobbied, I should say, for the role. Uh, but apparently, he's doing the same thing again. Uh, he's on, he was on uh, the Graham Norton show yeah. on the BBC saying that uh, he wants to come back to Star Wars. We got a clip right here. I like the 
fact that you aren't, you know, because you're you're very cool, but you're not shy about saying, I want to be in that film. Yeah. Like Star Wars, you, you said. I want to be in Star Wars now, too, when Jay plays Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, come on, Jedi has fallen from incredible heights, and a lot of them have lived with one hand. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I think I can handle it. The man has a point. The man has a point. Well, if they bring him back, just bring him back, like, pissed off. That's what I want to see. Monologuing. I want to see him back, yeah, with one hand, just mad as hell. Like, that's my lightsaber hand! You know, just going crazy on anyone who will Wouldn't listen. that be great? When you, what, I mean, because he's on Coruscant, right? So he might become kind of a crazy hobo, right? Kind of living in the, the, the underworld. Right. He's, he's like, yeah, the exact opposite end of the spectrum from his dialed back coldness. Right. Of Mace Windu from the prequels, sequel Mace is insane. He's a madman. He, maybe have him wearing that patch on his eye like he does in the Marvel movies. Right. He's Nick <laughs> yeah. Fury. Oh, that would yeah, confuse people. Well, don't do that. That would confuse yeah, people. That, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we, we're but mixing like, up the franchises there. Maybe just like grow his eyebrows really long or something. Just something right. to indicate him as being just this crazy nut. Well, maybe grow the fro out a little bit and have it kind of wild and sort of gray. And uh, he had no fro. Right, I know, but um, he, you know, he obviously shaved his head. Mace, uh, I don't know. I don't know where I stand on a mace with a fro. Well, he can't have that shiny dome if he's like a homeless dude. He's just—he's nuts. He's totally nuts. nuts. He's like living in a shopping cart. He's all twitchy. Yeah, he wants shopping cart. He's <laughs> <laughs> like he's—he's <laughs> he's trying to uh, clean General Riken's windshield. <laughs> Riken turns the windshield wipers on. He's like, come on, man. I got one hand. Ain't got no lightsaber. Well, maybe he's just sort of, he's always miming the lightsaber movements and doing the noises. Well, he doesn't have he one, right? There he goes again. But, I mean, that's what the Jedi do when they go underground is that they make people think they're crazy. Okay, so I got it. So he's like uh, that, that who was the mobster that always made people think he was crazy? The chin? Giganti or whatever, there was that. It was a famous gangster, uh, mafia don, who that was. That was how he avoided prosecution for so many years. Is he acted like he was crazy? Yeah, I love this. Or like Corporal Klinger from Mash, who was always trying to get out of the army by acting nuts. Right, he wore dresses. Well, he would he would act crazy too. He right, would, right. Or Mad Dog Murdoch from the A Team. I think he really was crazy, right? But see, that's what we want with our mace, our yeah. our sequel mace. Sequel mace crazy. He should just be off the hook, nut job, <laughs> so he can monologue. Yeah, I like that. See, we th- there you go. See, now we just wrote ourselves a spinoff. And then they dust him off, and he has one last glorious battle. He's he gets- kind of like uh, uh, like Darth Maul in a way, like a, a mirror of what we saw with Maul. Maybe not so extreme. He's not a spider. Maybe he could come back as a spider. Hmm. No, that would not be good. No. Darth Maul was really just, he was insane. That was, but I mean, I want um, Mace to be more of like bag lady nuts. You know, like there's a bird living on his head. (laughs) But is he faking it? We haven't. Oh, no, no. He's he's really not. He's really not. So he's not just faking it. No, no. All right. I kind of like the idea that he's faking it. No. That's how he, that's, that's how he's, uh, you know. He gets by the, the police. No. 
No. I, I think he's really yeah. He's he has to be completely off the deep end. All right. You did not just light up a double-bladed lightsaber. <laughs> the double-bladed lightsaber. When you absolutely positively got to kill every droid in the room, except no substitutes. <laughs> well, anyway, we'll see. Maybe he will get a role. I, I I what do you think the odds are, Jim, when you think about this? What do you think the odds are? And I won't even make you pinpoint a character. And don't, don't, you know, don't start getting all, you know, oh, is Anakin a prequel character? And is Darth but, but seriously, what do you think the odds are that in the sequel era we will see connections made and characters from the prequel era show up? What do you think? Or is it going to be all OT all the way? No, I think they would be a little close-minded if they did not take full advantage of the tapestry that is all six films. I think that there's a lot of mythology to be mined from that and a lot of story threads that can propel Star Wars further. I'd almost like to see a little bit of a mishmash of both prequel and original trilogy, but... Obviously, a little more heavy on the original trilogy. Well, it would have to be just for the timeline, you know. Right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Mace has got a, or Mace, uh, Sam's got a great point about Mace Windu. Jedi's fallen for, Jedi fallen from incredible heights, uh, one hand. Uh, he could survive. I think that's a very credible character that could potentially pop up. Uh, uh, who else might, might show up from the prequel here? Well, any of the Jedi really especially the alien species. We have no idea how long they live or anything like that. So I think there's some things that they could do. Someone sent us a message on Facebook and said that Howard Stern revealed this week that he sat next to J.J. Abrams at Jimmy Kimmel's wedding, which obviously recently happened, Uh and that J.J. told Howard what Star Wars Episode Seven is going to be all about. And the only thing Howard would reveal is that C-3PO is going to be in it. <laughs> now, of course, right. So I've not heard this footage, this, this content from Howard Stern. But you do have to consider the source. Because Howard could just be blowing a bunch of you-know-what. He could you be. Told, you know, <laughs> He says he says that he sat next to JJ, yeah. and that JJ told him everything, and so then Robin and Baba Booey start egging him on to reveal something. So he goes, "What C three PO's in it? What do you want?" <laughs> and then you know, I mean, that's it. it. It's it's hard to take that at face value, a secondhand report of something that happened on Howard Stern show. But I do think it's safe to assume that C three PO will be in Episode Seven. I don't think that there's any problem with speculating that. I think so. I think that the droids will will obviously continue to be sort of a, a oh those 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 tent poles tent pole characters that continue to uh, to ride throughout the films, and we see now you know. The difference, the, one of the big differences between the prequel films and the original trilogy is that the original trilogy, in a lot of ways, is sort of seen through the eyes of the droids. Not in the case with uh, the prequel trilogy as much. It's, it's very much seen through the eyes of Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's really their story. Um, 
everybody else is just kind of extras. And in right. 3PO role, you talk about a role that's really, really diminished. In the prequels, 3PO hardly exists. Mm. Yeah. He really has the most action in Ep 2. Yeah. But, but he still is mostly window dressing. Even in Ep 2, yeah. I mean, except for that, you know, the whole droid factory thing. But uh, for the most part, yeah, he just he, he doesn't have a whole lot to do. Especially in Episode 3. He's just hanging out in Padme's apartment. Right, delivering coffee. Right, <laughs> Yeah, like TC-14 before him. But you know what? It is interesting just to get those little glimpses of 3PO doing what he's programmed to do. He's well, that's a good point. Getting protocol droid. So right. it's kind of fun to see him actually in that role. Well, you know, one- it is. And But you know what? It took you to say that to me to where that really crystallized. It, it might have been a little bit. It might have been interesting to focus on that just a bit more so that now then you see, of course, you see the contrast. And what makes 3PO so comical in the original trilogy is he's really a fish out of water. And so when he's away from all the trappings and the trimmings of the the good life, you know, he kind of loses it. Uh, but, but, But you're right, Jim. That's exactly what we're supposed to be seeing there. And I guess maybe I'm just a little too dense. I didn't quite I think see that it. was a role he was eager to recapture once the Jawas sold the droids to the Lars Homestead. Right. I think he looked at that. And, you know, I mean, obviously, he wasn't happy with the planet, desolate place, and sand in my joints, and all that stuff. But still, when he got to the Homestead, there must have been. For as much as a droid can have that sense of relief, like finally, I'm I'm not gonna be on the run anymore. I'm not gonna get shot at. I'm gonna be hanging out here with a family and taking care of their needs. Right. And that's what you know. That's what he's all about. And of course, he already had existed in that position some twenty years previously, and he just doesn't know it. He doesn't know. Right. So maybe there's just like some sort of benign circuitry that sparks up somewhere in his microprocessors and gives him that sense of comfort as he's walking toward the Lars dome to go and start a new life. Ah. Did he realize that would be a very short-lived life? Wow. He's just such a misunderstood joy. He really is. He really is. But you mentioned detours earlier, and we actually have... Uh, a, a clip of an interview that sciencefiction.com did with uh, a couple of uh, fellas, uh, Nat Faxon and Jim Rash. Uh, they are, uh, of course, Oscar winners, and um, they were on the program to talk about their directorial debut, The, w- the, the Way, Way Back, and they also uh, uh, co-wrote it. But interestingly enough, Star Wars is brought up as Nat Fixon was uh, rumored to have played Han Solo in the Detours TV show that is now on, uh, uh, I guess, permanent hold, or whatever they call it. What did they call it? Did they give us a name for this? Postponed. Postponed, that's right. It was postponed. Uh, But anyway, so Nate Faxon uh, interviewed here at sciencefiction.com talking about his experience with uh, Star Wars Detours. We did... 
I think like two full seasons recorded like a ton of material for it. And I think, um, you know, things got slightly complicated with the, you know, Lucas selling to Disney and, um, then also with the new Star Wars coming out, you know, that J.J. Abrams is doing. And so I think they are sort of trying to figure out how best to position the show. And I, so I'm not sure in the immediate future whether this is something that will be seen because I don't think – I think they're weary of inundating maybe the, you know, um, marketplace with so much stuff that is, you know, uh, both in comedy and then you also have the movies maybe and uh, just – I think they were weary of that. So I think hopefully at some point the, the time will come for it because it's a very funny, funny show and it's filled with littered with hilarious, talented comedians. So I think I think there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. I just may be a bit of a long tunnel. <laughs> well, yeah, no time soon, I think. No, and it's a difficult situation for all these people who worked on this show. And there's a lot of people who worked on this show and they're out, you know, carrying on with their careers. And then all of a sudden the question about star Wars gets brought up because they've done so much work on it. As Seth green says, it's kind of unprecedented because this has never happened before where so many episodes, like 50 episodes of the show has been totally produced and completed and it has no home, no, you know, really no foreseeable future. So it's weird for these guys when they talk about it because obviously there's some strict paperwork that limits what they can actually say. But it's such a strange situation to be in. And once they start getting further and further away from the work they did on it, they're going to just keep getting more and more loose-lipped about it. So I think that it's kind of unhealthy for Lucasfilm to sit on this particular project because, number one, what's the shelf life on it? We've heard that it has a pretty pretty good shelf life, but I don't know. Some of the clips I saw, there were plenty of current pop culture references being thrown out and songs. Mm. Um, remember that clip they showed at Celebration where the Stormtrooper was singing that pop song? And, you know, whatever that oh, pop song right. was. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that now, yeah. I can't even remember what the song was because that's the way the entertainment world works. It mm-hmm. chews up content and spits it out. And uh, so how fresh is this material going to be when they actually get around to releasing it? What's, how viable is this thing going to maintain as it sits on the shelf gathering dust? It's just a shame because there are a lot of great talents that worked on the show. And obviously a lot of money and care was spent on it. And it has George Lucas's direct involvement in it. So if that's the case, I'd like to see it released sooner than later. Because as a lifelong Star Wars fan, I have a lot of patience. But you got to ask yourself, is this thing going to get stale if they sit on it for so long? I'm kind of wondering if this is going to be one of those things that you you show up uh, five years from now at at a comic book convention... And you can buy like a bootleg DVD of this thing. Uh, you know, you get like five or ten episodes or something, you know, that, that, that somehow have leaked through. I just don't want it to have a life like that. I, I, I want it to be officially released in some fashion. Uh, and I don't know. You know, they talk about saturation. 
to me, this would have been probably the perfect thing to stretch us from the end of the Clone Wars to either Episode 7 or Star Wars Rebels or both or whatever. You know, unless they really wanted Star Wars to kind of go away, um, not that it ever goes away, but in terms of either films or television, it it's it's away right now. How does 50 episodes of a television show get produced and not see the light of day? As Seth Green said, this has never happened in the history of history. <laughs> it's a weird situation. Yeah, it, is. it is weird. I mean, you've heard, you know, famous stories of uh, directors being replaced on films and their their director's cut is is never seen or or when it is eventually seen it's it's decades later and i mean there there are these stories like this but i think seth green's right i mean nothing quite of this nature and and that's because quite frankly especially with this type of animation uh it's expensive it's expensive to create that much of anything whether it be a film or a tv show so for them to sit on it I mean, think about the amount of money that was poured into that. Here's the thing about the money. The money came from George Lucas, his own wallet. Disney didn't put a dime into this. Well, I know that. I know that. But Disney gave George $4.4 billion. So that kind of helps cover his costs. Sure. So, I mean, really, everyone makes out in the end. Um, So it's a wash for Disney. it's, it's, It's non-existent for Disney. Right. It's, it's just an asset. I don't think they were really thinking to themselves, okay, $4.4 billion. That'll get us detours for sure. No, well, of course no, not. That wasn't no, even on the no, table. No. They didn't care about detours. They never cared about it. Not I don't know. I, 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 I'm sure that the, uh, the catalog of, uh, of, of assets that they were going to, I'm sure that that was something in there. I'm, I'm sure that they knew about it. They would yeah. have had to have had a, a, a pretty clean inventory of all the, the current projects going on. And I'm, and I'm sure that they reviewed it. I mean, they would have had to have reviewed it and considered it very seriously is what I'm saying. When you, and also, you've got all the relationships with the various uh, the folks that were a part of the show. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that they had to at least seriously entertain the idea of giving this some sort of home. But uh, where does it fit? You know, where does it fit? I guess we can't really answer that because we don't know what the Disney vision of Star Wars is at this point. Well, I think that is what it's all coming down to. Star Wars Detours does not match up with the vision Disney has for Star Wars and the future of the franchise. As you said, where does it fit in? As you also said, this would be a perfect time because there's no television going on right now. There's no season six of the Clone Wars. There's no Star Wars Rebels till 2014. Hey, well, speaking of which, we haven't heard anything about a DVD release of season five, have we? They're a little bit late. Well, you know, I believe Amazon has just started putting up pre-orders, and if really, ser- yeah, and if memory serves correct, yeah, the DVD for previous seasons of the Clone Wars often came out very close to the premiere date for the following season. Right, so, which would have been about in September. It was as early as September. 
September, October release, early fall. So, but we should have an announcement by now is what I'm trying to say. Well, I think you already know what's holding up that announcement. I think I do. And it's called bonus content. How are they going to release the bonus content? Oh, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Check this out. There is a Clone Wars Season 1 through 4 Blu-ray box set. Now, that's interesting to me that they would release a box set. When did this come out? Hmm. Let's see. When was this released? It doesn't say. Uh, oh, it doesn't look like this was an American. Okay. This was not a U.S. release, but it is region free. But anyway... That seems kind of odd that they'd have done that, but I don't see any pre-order listing for uh, Clone Wars Season 5. No, I'm sorry. Um, what I'm seeing on Amazon actually is the uh, instant video choice. All right. Yeah, you can buy the whole season through instant video. Yes, right, correct, for it looks like 35 bucks here. Uh, so, which, hey, that's one way to get it. You won't get any bonus content. No. But if you need it now... You can uh, you can do that, but it's even in HD. But I just think it's uh, strange that here we are, end of July, and you know, generally you get at least three months heads up on these releases. I remember gearing up to Star Wars Celebration and Fan Days and various other events uh, at this around this time of year, and there was always at this point an announcement about the. The, D- the DVDs or the Blu-rays. So. But I think you nailed it. We know what's keeping that held up. Sure, sure. They're just trying to determine what they're going to finish and whether or not it's going to fit on a disc or if they should just release it as a digital download. I believe those are really your only two realistic options when it comes to getting the bonus content out. I really think that that's it. Physical disc, direct download. I don't think there's any other way. Well, I think it'll be both. I think that you'll probably be able to have uh, those episodes available on uh, on your iTunes or your like we're looking at here, Amazon Instant. However, clearly this thing has got to be out for the holidays. So that's probably what we're looking at. We're probably looking at a release later in the fall, like a November release, perfect time for uh, the Thanksgiving time frame where you're really gearing up there for uh, the, for the Christmas shopping season. So, All right, well, I have an update stuff. here. Our friends at Jedi News reported earlier this week that the Clone Wars Season 5 Blu-ray is coming October 16th in France. Oh. In, en Francais. So <laughs> that leads me to believe that it probably will be released around the same time here in the States. So okay. we could be looking at... What, what, what are they citing? Do they have an Amazon pre-order for... Amazon.fr, whatever it is. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, they do. The French Amazon site, season five of The Clone Wars, is scheduled to be released on Blu-ray and DVD in France on October 16th. Hmm. This is an article written by Justin. And uh, Justin also goes on to say, so if it's coming out on the 16th in France with the typical Tuesday release date of DVD Blu-ray here in the States, we could be looking at Tuesday, October 15th. As a release date mm-hmm. or Clone Wars season mm-hmm. five, so that seems that's pretty consistent. Sure, we haven't gotten any official announcement from Lucasfilm, but um, 
it appears that, you know, Amazon, is they like to do, they like to beat Lucasfilm to the punch when it comes to making announcements. Amazon, but they, they wait for no one. Those guys, they put up those release dates. They don't care. Mm-hmm. They don't care. Uh, and right now, it's like, Jim, you can pre-order a movie, uh, a Blu-ray or a DVD. Now, they won't give you a date, but you can pre-order it when it's still out at the theater. I mean, I, I think it was within a couple weeks of Skyfall being out. And you were able to pre-order that puppy on Amazon, and the same with uh, the new Star Trek movie. It seems like the turnaround is about four months from the film premiering in a the theater to you having the. It used opportunity. to be about six. That yeah. was that was back in the day when you would have the the rental window, then the pay per view window, and then the sell through window. All of that that uh, you know the home all those windows that the home video industry used to have. Now you've got kind of the. The sell-through window, well, you've got the theatrical window, which is pretty short. Then you've got the sell-through window. And then 30 days after that, 28 days, then they start you know, the streaming window. And you can get it on your you know, Netflix and things like that, your Redbox. And I shouldn't even say streaming, your rental window. Mm-hmm. And uh, streaming takes even longer. Streaming can take, in some cases, a, a year. So, you know, I, I believe that Lucasfilm has been sitting on announcements such as this for big events happening this summer, like San Diego Comic-Con, like Star Wars Celebration Europe. And I think in a couple weeks, a lot of the questions that we have concerning Season 5 on disc and the bonus content, I think that'll be answered here at the end of this month. You know, I was really holding out hope that we would get a last-minute Star Wars panel at San Diego, where they would announce the cast. I really was thinking that was going to happen. but Speculation is leading us to believe that that is going to happen at the Disney Expo D23 in August. Ah. And we'll have our man, Al John Go will be there at D23, and he will file a complete report with us. And hopefully he'll get some good audio and stuff, too. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's where the speculation is uh, pointing towards having the complete cast, Mark, Harrison, and Carrie, at D23. But something tells me if that's going to happen, maybe Star Wars Celebration might beat them to the punch a little bit. Who knows? Lucasfilm competing with Disney. Yeah. I think oh, those oh, days are over with. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, they're going to want to coordinate that appropriately. Right. And if you ask me, the place to do it is Celebration Europe. So uh, apparently, this is this is news to me. Our good friends Jamie King and Kyle Newman were out at Skywalker Ranch kicking off Course of the Force 2013. And Ashley Eckstein was on hand for StarWars.com and uh, filed her own complete report. I'm here with Jamie King and Kyle Newman, who just ran in Course of the Force. Tell us about your experience. It was pretty fun. Uh, I, I got off a little easy because I'm pregnant and have a sprained ankle, but I was there representing. <laughs> we have a little Luke or Leia that also ran in Course of the Force. I think it was our youngest runner yet. I know, right? Yes, a fan baby here. Six-month-old little one. So, so Jim, what is this Course of the Force? Is this, is this the thing that uh, the nerdist has uh, pioneered. Is that what this is? 
Yeah, this is uh, from Chris Hardwick and uh, the Nerdist in conjunction with Lucasfilm. It's a long relay race that kicks off from Skywalker Ranch and marches down the 101 all the way to San Diego for San Diego Comic-Con. And Kyle and Jamie and uh, some others like um, Adrian Curry were there at Skywalker Ranch to kick it all off. There's great video of Kyle jogging along with the lightsaber and... uh, and uh, it's uh, it's really cool. And, and Jamie looks good. You can kind of see a little bit of a baby bump there, uh, fan baby. Yes. And and um, so that's what it's for. And it's all to benefit Make a Wish, which is really great. So uh, it's doing a good thing to get Star Wars out there and raise money for a, a good cause. And so uh, yeah, Kyle and Jamie hanging out at Skywalker Ranch. Kyle had tipped us off at least to the fact that he was out there. Uh, he had sent us an email saying that he was at the ranch and everything, and uh, I didn't know he was out there for Course of the Force. Oh, why would we want to know that? He's so coy with his info. Yeah. But, yeah, but, yeah, so why would we want to know that? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know what, it's a great event and uh, very cool, and looks like something that's going to be happening on an annual basis. All right, uh, we want to take a brief time out here and thank our good friends at audible.com they are this week's sponsor for rebel force radio and we do appreciate their support so very very much we've been telling you about them for a long long time they are up to over a hundred thousand different titles to choose from the best of the best when it comes to audiobooks and various forms of spoken entertainment just like the podcast you're listening to right now here, So if you like portable audio entertainment in your car, while you're mowing the lawn, while you're doing the ironing, while you're working out at the gym, then you got to check out audible.com. And here's the very, very cool thing. If you sign up today, you're going to get a free audiobook of your choosing. And we've got a great suggestion for you. How about one of the latest in the EU canon, Crucible, Star Wars Crucible. Uh, written by Troy Denning and narrated by the great Mark Thompson, who does so many of the Star Wars audiobooks. We actually have a clip. It's like having a Star Wars movie with you all the time. Check it out. Here we go. Han shot her a scowl meant to suggest she needed an eye exam. And then the newcomer was at their table, stepping through the tranquility screen. He placed the glasses on the table and opened the bottle. I hope you don't mind he said, pouring. But they keep a case of reserve on hand for Lando. And I thought you might prefer it to the usual swill around here. Uh, The cantina has a case on hold for Lando. What was that case, I wonder? (laughs) It wouldn't be Colt 45, would it? Well, I guess if it's in the Star Wars universe, they couldn't make it Colt 45. But what is the Star Wars equivalent of Colt 45. I guess you have to read Crucible to find out. Uh, check it out again, audible.com. So here's what you got to do. You got to sign up. You can't have previously signed up as a member of Audible. You go to audiblepodcast.com slash RFR, like Rebel Force Radio. That's audiblepodcast.com slash RFR. Sign up and you'll get Crucible for free. There's a lot of great things that make Audible awesome. But one of the coolest things is that you always have your library with you. If you've got an iPhone or an Android device or uh, your laptop, it doesn't matter. You always are just a couple clicks or a couple touches away from your library. And uh, the, the, the performance 
the quality of the performances that they get for these books are just astonishing. It's so, so great. And I think for a lot of folks, for me, I'm sort of a, an audible learner anyway. I retain a lot better when I can listen to it. And I've got a long commute. Anybody out there with a long commute, you got to check out Audible. It's one of the best investments you'll make. Uh, and speaking of Crucible, this is very exciting. Jim, we've got a giveaway. Yes, we do. We love to give away things to our listeners here on Rebel Force Radio. And this week, we have two signed copies of Star Wars Crucible, signed by author Troy Denning. So this is uh, from our friends over at Random House. They set us up. So all you have to do to be eligible to win one of two signed copies of Crucible is simply leave us a review on iTunes anytime between Friday, July 19th and Tuesday, July 23rd at 7 p.m. Central to be eligible to win. Unfortunately, we cannot extend this offer outside of the United States, so our listeners overseas will come up with another giveaway specifically for you guys coming up soon. But I don't feel too guilty because you have a kick-butt convention happening in a couple weeks, so I know your Star Wars fandom is being fulfilled with Star Wars Celebration Europe. So I have to do something special for our Star Wars fans here at the States the winner will be chosen at random and brought to you by Random House and Rebel Force Radio. So get those reviews. Put them up on iTunes right now. After we pick our winners at random, we do have a system where we can verify who the winner is. Because it's up to you to listen to Rebel Force Radio to hear us announce those winners. We will not contact you directly. Because we cannot contact you directly. <laughs> because when you put up reviews on iTunes, they're under screen names only with no way to contact the person who put the reviews up there. Because, of course, if you could do that, me and Jason would be reaching out to a lot of people. You know who you are. <laughs> However, reach um, out and touch someone. So, so if, uh, if we cannot get a hold of our winners after uh, a week or two, we're going to go ahead and uh, put it back up there. So uh, keep listening to us here on Rebel Force Radio, and uh, we love to give away things to our listeners. And this week is no exception. Two signed copies of Star Wars Crucible, signed by author Troy Denning. Could be yours if the iTunes review is right. Now, this is cool. So um, continuing on with the whole Troy Denning and uh, Crucible story, uh, there's a video podcast, a series of videos that the, the Wall Street Journal uh, puts out. Uh, Wall, or is it? Where's this on their cable network? Wait a minute. No, this is on their website, right? I saw it on their website. This could be a show that's actually on their cable channel. It's called WSJ Live. It would surprise me if it's not on their cable channel because it's such a highly produced program. But uh, they yeah, I just the, noticed that I just I've just now all of a sudden have this uh, Wall Street Journal channel on. I think I have it on my uh, Apple TV or something. So apparently, uh, it's probably from that. Probably from yeah. that. But it's available on the website too. This is true, and uh, they did a feature on the Star Wars expanded universe in conjunction with Troy Denning's new release, Crucible. Wall Street Journal Live, WSJ Live host Wendy Bounds, great name. And Alexandra Alter sat down and talked about the Star Wars franchise and how it's turned into one of the longest-running and most profitable 
book series ever. So Alexandra Alter, she is their their expert on uh, publishing and literature, and they sit her down and they have a discussion about what has propelled Star Wars into becoming not only one of the biggest film franchises of all time, but one of the biggest novel franchises of all time. The Star Wars trilogy, the movie film, that pre- that premiered in 1977, but a lot has continued to happen off the screen in these books that some people who are fans like myself don't really even know much about. What's kind of the action in the books that's happening? It's amazing. There have been decades have passed. Han and Leia got married. They had three kids. They're grandparents now. Han is in his <laughs> 70s. Leia is in her 60s. She looks amazing thanks to the Force and some other, you know, cybernetics. The Force like protects your face. It's like you can regenerate yourself. Yes, right. we should all get some. Um, it, the, the story has continued uh, almost in real time and the books really started as a way to engage fans when um, the original trilogy ended in Mm -hmm. 1983 I believe Um, but then they've become this sort of entertainment property of their own and there are people that are huge Star Wars fans that think the books are better than the movies and who owns the rights to all the books so this is all through Lucasfilm they have a publishing division and they partner with different publishers like Del Rey the science fiction imprint of Penguin Random House or Scholastic or um, Marvel Comics and they license these out, and they produce 60 to 70 books every year. Wow. Yeah. And this is now part of Disney. This is now part of Disney, so um, I'm sure Star Wars fans know when Disney acquired Lucasfilms last year, they announced plans for a new trilogy of films. And this, these films are allegedly going to take place in the future, so the big discussion among fans of the books now is, are they going to follow what's happened in the books, or are they going to completely destroy yeah. the story as it's evolved well, Han, on the page? Well, Hans and Leia will be taking their grandkids to ride Space Mountain exactly. at Disney World. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Now, destroy what? What is being yeah, – because this is uh, – I don't want to pick on this poor woman, but what are they destroying? If, they, if, if, the, if the sequel films do not follow – the Star Wars books, the expanded universe. I don't understand what it's destroying. I mean, she also says that these have kind of taken on a life of their own, you know, sort of their own thing, which is the way I've always looked at it. It's its its own thing. It's not like they're going to release a book that's going to throw off all the other books. Yeah, maybe the, the movie adaptation could, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not like there's a war within the expanded universe itself. Well, here's the deal. And, and here's what is in danger. It's the future of the storylines featuring characters, well-established characters. The future of those particular storylines could be and probably will be wiped out by the films, the sequel films. Thus, wiping out any future potential of seeing these characters or situations return. They'll just be put away. They'll be put in the vault for good. They definitely will be. Jason and Jaina Solo, if Han and Leia don't have two children named Jason and Jaina Solo, I can assure you, you will not be seeing them in the pages of Star Wars novels from Delray any further. No, I, I disagree. I disagree. I don't think that's I don't think that's really the think case. that they are going to carry on. Sure. With, Sure they a will. universe that contradicts what happens yep. on the silver screen. You think Disney is going to allow that to continue? Yep. This is the same company that ceased production on Clone Wars because it didn't fit their grand vision. This is the same company as we just spoke about 
pulling the plug, postponing detours because it doesn't fit their grand vision, why would they continue with something uh, that's because of all that all that character equity? All that you're talking about 25 years in some cases of character equity that they have in those books. They want those books to have 10th, 11th, 12th, 15th, 30th printings. They want to continue to be able to license those books. They want to continue to be able to sell those books. And the fact that we have precedent for this. The Star Trek books continue to be released both within the uh, original series timeline uh, that, that, that takes the, uh, the original series uh, uh, storylines as, as gospel. We have the JJ, we've got books that take place in what they call the JJ-verse. So the, the new rebooted uh, Star, uh, Star Trek universe, uh, there's next generation books that are still being written about those characters and those situations within the seven seasons of that series. So, I mean, uh, there's precedent for this. And the reason that they haven't cleaned it up is because they're still making money. But Star Trek never paid the sort of continuity attention to its franchise on a whole that Star Wars has. And they've been under that Paramount umbrella for all that time. So Paramount's probably like, well, that's the way we've always done it. You know, <laughs> there's sure everything is, is getting a fresh start with Disney purchasing Star Wars. And you can tell it's a fresh start because they've cleaned the slate. Well, they've cleaned the slate of what Disney really cares about. And let's be honest, I don't think they really care about the books all that much. I think it's low-hanging fruit for them. I think it's easy money for them. I mean, there's always going to be a Troy Denning or somebody that's, that's willing to step up and, and write one of these books, one of these tie-in books. There's, there's a whole crop of authors that do nothing but uh, their own, you know, these tie-in stories. Uh, it's a it's a it's a real craft. I'm not putting it down, but I'm just saying that that's there's uh, there's always going to be some that are going to be willing to do that. the The question is whether or not this potential you know, this new trilogy destroys anything. I submit that it doesn't destroy anything. I submit that those characters and those situations are still going to exist. I think we could still see new books written within. Uh, previous expanded universe timelines, whether it be Yuzhan Vong or whether it be Jedi Order, New Jedi Order or any of that stuff. I think all of it is still in play, but I think there will be, now, make no mistake, there will be books that will tie in to the new sequel trilogy. Uh, and, and how they differentiate them, I, I, I couldn't really tell you. I don't know how they're going to do that. Another I, I don't think why, that they need to, quite honestly. Another reason why I disagree with you is because I firmly believe, and keep in mind, I've been trying to get people to confirm this over the years, and I've never gotten a solid confirmation of this, but I believe that George Lucas himself ordered the extermination of the third solo child, which we don't hear much about anymore, Anakin Solo, I believe George Lucas himself ordered that character to be killed off. You're saying he put a hit out on Anakin Solo? That's exactly what I'm Godfather saying. Godfather style? He, he, there was a sit down and he sat down with the members of the five families and they ordered a hit on Anakin Solo primarily because of the fact that George did not want two Anakins running around in his Star Wars universe. So he put a whack, he put the hit out on Anakin Solo, and now Anakin Solo sleeps with the fishes. 
I really believe that. I've never gotten anyone to confirm that. I've asked a few people over the years, but no one has ever been able to give me a solid confirmation of that. I think only one person can do that, and that's George Lucas or perhaps Howard Rothman. Well, that's heavy stuff. That's very heavy. Uh, There's another uh, clip here from this program, uh, the Wall Street Journal Live, uh, with Wendy Bounds and uh, Alexandra Alter talking more about the Star Wars universe in print. Who does control these plot points? I mean, there's like the, the Harry Potter books, there's so many characters that do so many different things. How do they make sure that the authors don't just like run off in a direction that just wouldn't cut it? Well, they keep tight control over the stories. And I think that's, you know, they're very careful to make sure that the brand is consistent, whether it's in comics or novels or cartoons or TV. So uh, there's a group of editors at Lucasfilms, they're book editors. They produce kind of a series of plot points. They give these to novelists. They say, here's what you can do. The novelists submit an outline. They'll correct it if they um, take it in a direction. For example, the Star Wars author, Troy Denning, who has a book out this week. Um, Crucible. Keep, Crucible. He keeps trying to make a certain kind of alien a Jedi, and the editors keep telling him those aliens can't be Jedi. <laughs> they can't do that. No. It's not in their DNA. <laughs> yes. What I, just love, I just love the fact that they're having this discussion on... Wall Street Journal Live. I mean, <laughs> this yeah. is, it sounds like our show. Right. <laughs> have, have, have things finally come down to this? Yeah. You know, pretty soon you're going to be seeing like Wolf Blitzer talking about you know, the Anakin Solo controversy. <laughs> but uh, you know what I love is that um, they're, they're, uh, I'm trying to interpret what they're saying here is that Troy Denning approached Lucasfilm and said, I want this alien character to be a Jedi. And Lucasfilm said, no way, Jose, it can't happen. I think what he's talking about is a potential Yuzan Vong Jedi. And for those who read, Jason, I know you probably didn't, but the sprawling 20-book epic that was the New Jedi Order that started up around the time of the, uh, right before the prequels, and then it wrapped up right before the prequels wrapped up. So during that entire prequel era, the expanded universe was primarily focused on the new Jedi Order. And what this storyline was about were these alien invaders from a galaxy outside of the galaxy far, far away. I guess this was a galaxy far, far, far away. <laughs> and so these guys crossed time and space, came to the Star Wars galaxy... And started raising holy hell because they didn't have a place to hang. So they wanted to transform planets. This is a kind of a similar storyline to something that happens in Man of Steel. General Zod tries to terraform planet Earth to create a new Krypton. That's essentially what these Yuzon Vong cats were doing from a galaxy far, 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 far away. So the Jedi were dispatched to face them down, and it it was quickly discovered that these guys were immune to the Force. You could not use your Jedi mind tricks or any tricks on these guys. They were stronger physically, and they embraced pain. So I think Denning, who was a player, he was one of the authors of this sprawling 20-book saga. He wrote the book Star by Star, which featured the death of Anakin Solo. Wow, everything's coming full circle right now. So he might be a guy to ask. Who ordered the hit on Anakin Solo? (laughs) Troy Denning is the one who put the bullets in the blaster. 
And he wrote about that in Star by Star. So he, I'm thinking that's what he wanted, was to have a Yuzon Vong Jedi. And that just didn't jive with the folks over at Lucasfilm. So. Mm. Hmm. And then I, also something else he said in the prior clip about Princess Leia looking great at, in her 60s. And it was all due to, uh, what did she say, force tricks and the, implants? Yeah, something uh, like that. The force and force Botox or something. Force Botox. That, that's exactly what that is a quote from that woman, Alexandra Alter. Or it, it was her or her pal, Wendy Bounds, over at S, WSJ Live. That, I can tell you, Jason never happened in a Star Wars novel. I don't know, man. Are you sure about that? I've heard some of these plot points. There's got to be some forced Botox going on. Here's a guy who needs forced Botox. (laughs) (laughs) What? What happened? I'm talking about Yoda. Oh. Yoda. You seek Yoda. Well, at least the people in Great Britain are seeking people really named Yoda. So apparently there's these new Coke cans. Have you had one of these new Coke cans, Jim? The share a Coke? No, can and I had splits to re- into two. <laughs> I had to read this story from uh, Digital Spy a couple times. They're, they're the ones who are uh, reporting on this. Apparently, there are three people in Britain who have the first name Yoda, according to a new survey from Coca-Cola. So I had no idea. I'm like, what? The findings come as, I'm going to quote this article. The findings come as Coca-Cola looks to expand its share of Coke range to include names on its labeling. Well, I have no idea what the share of Coke range is. Isn't this the new, the new Coke can that splits into two? What? Have you seen this? You haven't seen this thing? No. Is that, there's, a, there's a new can of Coke that actually splits into two cans so you can share it with your buddy. Huh. Apparently there are names on these, uh, so it's all about share a Coke. Now, what's funny about this is that Yoda used to be a Pepsi spokesman. Those fries give Yoda. Here, have my fries. Your drink desire you not. The Diet Pepsi, I do want. Want you not? Do not want. <laughs> He's crossed over. He has. But see, this is okay. So I don't think this is any choice of Yoda himself. No, 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 no. This is just, this is Experian Marketing Services, big, big, big market research company uh, that combed Great Britain for all of the potential names in the whole country. And they found over 1,666,000 people that are called John. A lot of Davids, Michaels, Stevens, James, and Pauls, of course. A lot of Pools. Uh, the most popular female name was Susan. Had over 500,000 matches. But they found some interesting things. One was there were three people named Yoda. Now, it doesn't mention whether they were all men or women or a combination of both. And there was one name that came in dead last where there was only one person. In all of Great Britain with this name. What's that? Zebedee. Yoda more popular than Zebedee. Yoda more po- How would you like to be that guy named Zebedee? Oh, maybe you'd like it. Yeah, I'd, I'd like it because I'd be like, yeah, I'm the only one, man. I'm the only Zebedee. Zebedee. Now, that sounds like it could be a Star Wars character name. It sure bit. does. Yeah. He, or maybe even a species. Right. He's a Zebedee from Malastare. 
but why they why they were looking for three Yodas, I don't know. But I guess they were just doing a big uh, research study to determine uh, the, the, the popular names and to see what names they should put on these special cans. I have not seen one of these in the wild. I've, I've, I've heard about them. I've seen ads with them. Uh, now I'm going to have to go be on the, the hunt for a share of Coke can. Are you Zebedee? No, I'm Yoda. Let me explain to you how this whole Yoda thing works out. Number one, this is happening in Britain. Of course. Okay, so enough said there. Britain is the home of the Jedi Church. Okay? I don't think any adult in their right mind would name their child Yoda. There is just far too much ridicule that would come with a name like Yoda. So I believe that these three Yodas, <laughs> these three cats living in England, are members of the Jedi Church, and they changed their names to Yoda. That's total speculation, but I believe that has to be the case here. So they're not, that's not their birth name, is what you're saying. No, their birth name was Zebedee. <laughs> Attention, Slam of Christian. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Darth Vader. Leia. Chewie. Ahsoka Tano. Yoda. The Zebedee. One guy who will never answer to the name Zebedee is Sam Huntington. Sam is known to Star Wars fans for his uh, role as Eric in Fanboys. He also stars alongside Rebel Force Radio pal Sam Witwer on the popular sci-fi channel show Being Human. So Sam's a good guy. He is a Star Wars fan. He's raising his kids to be Star Wars fans. And we caught up with Sam at C2E2 a couple months ago here in Chicago. And you heard that interview here on Rebel Force Radio. However, we have a couple minutes here that no one has heard of Sam talking about Return of the Jedi. Kyle Newman dispatched us to C2E2 with the goal of recording some people for the documentary Return to Return of the Jedi. Unfortunately, the footage we shot couldn't be used. It just didn't match up. We were in a noisy convention center. The rest of the film was shot in L.A. in a proper recording environment. Um, The only thing we really had going for us was the black background. So we thought maybe it would work, but it was just too dang noisy in that convention center. And it would have been jarring to include this footage that we shot out at C2E2. Most of it we released on our podcast. However, we do have this one outtake of Sam talking about Return of the Jedi here as we celebrate 30 years of Return of the Jedi. And I just wanted to share this with everyone. It's a couple minutes of Sam talking about his love for Episode 6. 
Now, we are putting together a 30th anniversary video tribute to Return of the Jedi. Okay. And so, if I could, I'd just like to ask you a couple questions here. We got our cameraman, Sheldon, with us. Great. And uh, we're going to stand you up here with this black curtain behind you. Okay. And just ask you some very basic questions about Return of the Jedi. Okay. And uh, we're going to show this at the 30th anniversary screening. Okay. Happening at the Egyptian Theater. Well, I, so. hope, I hope I'm not an, Im- I hope I'm not an idiot. <laughs> well, you know what? I, that, your questions. Don't that, stump me. I, I wake up every morning and get out of bed saying that same mantra to okay, myself. I hope I'm not an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somehow I get by. Okay, good. All right, Sheldon, how are we looking? You want him to stand up just a little bit for better lane? Yeah, that is true. That is well, true. Maybe we should go where we shot Ashley. Okay, cool. Oh, sorry, Sam. Let's do it. All right, I'm going to be out of frame. We're going to want you to look right into the uh, camera. Okay. I hope I don't blow well, That it. looks pretty good. All right. Okay. Sam Huntington, uh, you tell me when you're ready. Sheldon, real quick, we'll get you out of here. Awesome. Going out for some deep dish pizza tonight or anything? I did like last that? night. You did? Yeah. yeah. Did. Where'd you go? I went to Giordano's. Giordano's, oh good my call. God, it was good. Yeah, very good call. Yeah. Excellent pizza. Is that legendary? That looks good. Okay, we ready? I am. Princess Leia's slave bikini, yes, her of metal course, bikini. Of course. How can you not love the slave bikini? I put it on nightly, it doesn't really do it for me. But I just like seeing it on a body. So, yeah, I love it. <laughs> what about the bad rap the Ewoks get? How do you feel about that? I think them? that's horse. I love the Ewoks. I want to take one home. Take yourself back in time. The year's 1983. You've just seen Return of the Jedi for the first time. You're walking out of the theater with all these revelations about the death of Darth Vader. Yep. Um, Anakin Skywalker passing the torch to Luke Skywalker. Right. How did you feel? When you first saw Jedi and realized that at that time it was the end of the Star Wars saga. Well, it was good closure, wasn't it, though? I mean, like, I was sad, like everyone else, but, like, it was good closure at least. It was, uh, and that's what every great saga needs is at least a great ending, and that's, and that's what we had. So I was happy. That's perfect. Yeah. There you go, Sam Huntington on Return of the Jedi. From the cutting room floor, you'll have to get that on the bonus DVD that will come with. <laughs> Disc two. Disc two. uh, Yes, relegated to disc two along with George Lucas. Uh, Very cool stuff. And Sam sounds like a really nice guy. I'm 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 sad, actually, that his stuff didn't make it because uh, I think that's a real legit fan you got there. And Sam Huntington. And he has serious fanboy cred. Rebel Force All right, now we do have Billy D coming up uh, later, later on in just a few minutes, but before then, we have to tell you about a really cool thing going on in Chicago right now, and I don't mean the way the White Sox are playing, because my Cleveland Indians are kicking their butt oh, right boy. now in the standings. What, 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 we got 37-55 versus 51-44 on the win-loss column. Yeah, it's not pretty on the south side of Chicago this year, but we have one thing to look forward to, especially if you're a White Sox fan and a Star Wars fan. It's this Saturday, July 20th, versus the Atlanta Braves. The Chicago White Sox present Star Wars Night at U.S. Cellular Field, benefiting Stand Up to Cancer. And I caught up with Chicago White Sox Senior Director of Ticket Sales, Tom Sheridan, who gave us all the deets. Hello. Hey, Tom, how's it going? 
Good, good. How are you? Real good, real good. So uh, tell us all about Star Wars Day happening Saturday, July 20th at U.S. Cellular Field. Well, actually, uh, Star Wars Day is uh, something that's been sponsored by Major League Baseball, Lucasfilms Limited, uh, and Chicago White Sox. And uh, basically what we've done is we are going to welcome every Star Wars fan uh, in the uh, Chicagoland area to come out. Uh, uh, entering a parade that's going to be, you know, featured and led by, uh, well, last year I guess we had some Rebel Forces, R2-D2, Darth Vader, some Stormtroopers, uh, and Boba Fett uh, leading a parade uh, pregame. Uh, and then, uh, you know, people went up and sat down up in the seats, uh, and we've got a package, too, for folks if they want to go ahead and buy a package. And par- a portion of that package is donated to uh, Stand Up to Cancer. Got it. So, uh, which is great because uh, people who buy these selected tickets throughout the ballpark, $5 of each ticket sold will be donated to Stand Up to Cancer. And uh, Lucasfilm has been doing a lot with that organization over the years. So it's really cool to see Major League Baseball jump on board and get behind this. I have a question for you, Tom. Why Star Wars? Why not Star Trek Night or Marvel Universe Night? What what makes Star Wars so appealing to the Chicago White Sox and Major League Baseball? Well, I'll give you my biased opinion. I'm a Star Wars fan. I've, I've seen all the movies uh, many times. I just think that there's a special, you know, there's a special piece uh, in everyone's heart uh, who, who likes Star Wars. It's never going to go away. Uh, even more, I think, solidified than Star Trek fans. Although, quite honestly, I think some Star Trek fans are getting a little long in the tooth. So I think uh, in terms of the, the, the longevity of the fan, I think there's a wider base of fan, fans out there who are Star Wars fans. And, you know, we want to make sure that we you know, pay homage to them by getting out enough entertainment pregame. Uh, and, again, you know, uh, pairing, up, pairing up with a, with a great cause and stand up to cancer with Major League Baseball. So how do Star Wars fans get involved? They buy a ticket to the game. How do they get involved in the pregame parade that goes around the uh, warning track? Yeah, yeah, well, great. Well, basically what they can do is they can go to www.whitesocks.com. You can go uh, right on the website and click on uh, ticketing, and then you go to the group section, and you'll see a whole splash page there. It'll say White Sox Star Wars Grand Slam Group. It'll be a picture. It should be of Darth Vader. Um, and uh, you'll see some information about it. You can click on the different ticket links, and you can get an outfield reserve seat, which is in the outfield, uh, right or left field. Um, and it's $21, again, $5 of which will be donated directly to Stand Up to Cancer. Or you can also get uh, the other special price areas, a lower box section. Those are $39, and again, $5 of that will go directly to Stand Up to Cancer. Um, and they can go, like I said, whitesocks.com, uh, and then backslash ticketing. Uh, and and the backslash groups if you want to go right to that site. And it really is a great time. I was out there last year with my family, and uh, the graphics up on the scoreboard have a Star Wars edge to them, and and, uh, there's just a lot of activity going on, especially on the outfield. um, uh, 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 Concourse, yeah. uh, Yes, thank you. On On the outfield concourse, there was a lot of great photo ops with costumed characters, Star Wars fans. Uh, the music is constantly playing throughout the ballpark, setting a, a real cool vibe from a galaxy far, far away. And as a diehard fan of both Star Wars and the Chicago White Sox, these are two universes colliding in such a great way for me personally, I can't even tell you. 
You know, yeah, I'll tell you, the, 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 one of the things that's really neat is the uh, 501st Midwest Garrison will be out there again. I kind of ran through some of the folks who were out there participating, uh, Rebel Forces, R2-D2, Darth Vader, Stormtroopers, Boba Fett. We're not sure exactly who's going to show up, but that's kind of the fun part, come out and see who's going to be out there. Again, they're going to lead the parade. Uh, and that's kind of a first-come, first-served parade. There is a limited amount, so the sooner you buy your tickets, the sooner we can get you into the parade. And then, basically, they'll be trolling around in the outfield, and as you said, we'll have themed Star Wars-themed stuff throughout the game. Uh, and they'll be take, doing photo ops out in the outfield and bouncing around the ballpark. But it really, really, really will have a cool little feel. And then, you know, on top of that, uh, you know, and I don't know, it's technically it's a, um, we also have another giveaway that night for Star Wars night. It's uh, White Sox replica batting helmet. Uh, first 10,000 kids, 13 and under, get a, get a White Sox batting helmet. You know, if you kind of block the, the Sox logo, not that they want to do that, it looks very similar to a Darth Vader helmet. <laughs> <laughs> These are the souvenir plastic helmets that we used to see a lot in the 70s and 80s when we were kids, right? Yep, we brought them back. We brought them back for the kids. Like I said, first 10,000 kids get a souvenir batting practice plastic helmet, not for use in real baseball play, but just used to, you know, to hang out and wear it in the stands. That's an awesome bonus. So, all right, uh, before I let you go, Tom, I'm going to have a little fun with you. If Star Wars was being cast today and you could only cast White Sox players as the characters in Star Wars, who would you cast as Han Solo from the current roster? Who would you cast as Han Solo? I think I'd go with... Um... I think I'd go with Paul Canerco. I think I'd go with uh, maybe Beckham as Luke Skywalker. Good. And Adam Dunn as Chewbacca. There you go. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're on the same page, except for me, I consider Paul Canerco to be more of an Obi-Wan Kenobi type. And I consider Jake Peavy to be more of a Han Solo. He he could be a Han Solo. I was actually kind of, I was kind of uh, channeling maybe a Robin Ventura as an Obi-Wan, but maybe he's Yoda. I'm not sure. Maybe, or, or Don Cooper could be Obi-Wan. And then you have, of course, uh, Alexi Ramirez has got to be C-3PO. I don't know why oh. I feel that way, but I do. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. He's definitely C-3PO. <laughs> I'm not even going to go to who I think r 2 d should be. Hmm, that's a tough one. <laughs> that's a t- <laughs> But hey, man, it's it's great to talk to you, and uh, let's uh, hook up on Saturday, July twentieth at U.S. Cellular Field. It's the White Sox versus the Atlanta Braves. Star Wars Day, five dollars from uh, each ticket sold uh, for select seating areas throughout the ballpark. Five dollars will go to Stand Up to Cancer, which is awesome. It's so great to see Major League Baseball, the Chicago White Sox, and Lucasfilm teaming up together to bring Star Wars fans a unique experience at the ballpark. Great, and I appreciate your time. Uh, you know, remember it's a three oh five game, uh, so we get started a little early. Gates open hour and a half prior to that three o'clock start time, and, and tickets are still available. WhiteSox.com uh, backslash ticketing. That's awesome. Rebel Force Radio will be there. The 501st will be there. I know you'll be there, Tom. And uh, kids, get there early for the batting helmets. Don't forget that. The, what, what a great day it's going to be uh, Saturday at the ballpark. So, uh, you know, the only thing that will make it better is a White Sox victory. Absolutely. We'll always take those. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Tom. We really appreciate you checking in here with us at Rebel Force Radio. And, of course, may the Force be with you and go Sox. Thanks, Jimmy Mack. This is Billy D. Williams, Lando Calrissian. It's time for the quote of the week. Hello, what have we here? It's just me, Billy D. 
And don't mess this up, man. Be smooth. Lando's right. Indeed. Sorry, baby. It's just business. Why, you slimy, double-crossing, no-good swindler. Works every time. And Lando Calrissian is forever. <laughs> All right, there are Billy D quotes, and then there are Billy D quotes. And this is the latter. Anytime we get a chance to hear Billy D croon... <laughs> It is a Billy D quote to remember, and I'm excited to read here on the show rundown that we've we've got one of those, right, Jim? You're not just you're not just playing with me here, right? Oh, it's a musical moment this oh. week on the Billy D quote of the week. That's right, Billy D grabs the microphone and puts on his singing shoes. As we talked about earlier in the show, course of the force is happening to benefit Make a Wish. And Chris Hardwick and Nerdist Industries are behind that awesome charitable effort. So to promote this Course of the Force fundraising event, they created a lot of videos to go along with it, which you can find on YouTube or at the official Nerdist website. For this particular video, they spared no expense. They created... The Moss Isley Cantina on a Hollywood stage. And it looked really, really good. And they populated that cantina with all of your favorite Star Wars aliens. Hammerhead, Walrus Man, Dr. Evazan. They were all there. Even some guys you didn't see in the Moss Isley Cantina, like Nine Numb and maybe a couple Gamorrean guards, all partying down and tattooing at the Moss Isley Cantina. Chris Hardwick was sitting in the corner dressed up as Han Solo. Patton frickin' Oswalt was behind the bar as Wooher. And he wasn't trying to kill George with a shovel, was he? No, he wasn't. All as right. a matter of fact, there's a making of video uh, for this uh, particular music video. And um, Patton Oswalt does at one point say, are you sure Lucasfilm said it's okay for me to be in this video? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, this, is, this is fresh. And they got the aliens from Tom Spina, who is a guy who created, oh, yes. recreated all the aliens for the great American Express commercial that aired during the Super Bowl a couple years ago. And he also did a fantastic panel at Star Wars Celebration Six, which Billy Mack attended and said it was uh, the highlight of the convention the behind-the-scenes of the Star Wars Cantina, one of my all-time favorite sequences in all six of the Star Wars films, the Star Wars Cantina. You could go on and on about how great a scene that is. So uh, Tom gave up all of his great aliens, might have even created some new ones specifically for this video, and it's a video featuring Billy D. Williams, sort of his Lando, I think, he, I think he is Lando in this. God darn, he is Lando in this. Again, as we've stated many times on the Billy D. Quote of the Week, sometimes the line between Billy D. Williams and Lando Calrissian gets very thin. It's almost non-existent. He has embodied his character like no one else from the original trilogy, when you think of it. You know, sure, Harrison Ford grumbles a lot, and, you know, he's... And, and so Mike Hamill sometimes seems bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. But uh, no one fully embodies their character like Billy D does. He is Lando. 
So they get him up on stage, and he performs this song called West Coast. Now, Jason, I don't know if you're familiar with the song West Coast. I'm actually not, no. I'm more uh, of a listen, show tunes kind of guy. Of course, well, but I mean, really, no one is familiar with the tune West Coast. It's, it's uh, done by an indie band, Coconut Records, which is actually a, a guy who's an actor named Jason Schwartzman. He also appears in the video. Oh, yeah, Jason Schwartzman, Rushmore. Rushmore. He was fantastic in Rushmore. But uh, so he, he does, he's also a musician and he occasionally puts out releases under the guise of Coconut Records. So here's just a little sample of his song West Coast. I had to look it up for myself because it's a song I never heard of before. And I miss you. That's okay. the hook. That's it. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I just wanted to get people familiar with it because I don't think anybody really knows this song. It's a rather obscure choice. Yes. Right. If you, if you have yourself the set of the Moss Eisley Cantina, you have all the aliens around you, you have Billy D. Williams, what is the first song that pops in your head for him to sing? Lopteenek. For most of us, it wouldn't be West Coast. But Chris Hardwick is Chris Hardwick, and that's a song he likes. And so they decided to bring Lando, Billy D. Williams, as Lando Calrissian up to the stage for a little karaoke West Coast style. For a second there, I thought you disappeared. A lot this time of year, and we both go together if one falls down. I talk out loud like you're still around. You know, I, I think, I think, I think Jason Schwartzman's Coconut Records. I think we have found Billy Dee's kryptonite here because even Billy D cannot make that sound cool. He's struggling a little bit. That song cannot be made cool, even by the likes of Billy D. I'm with you, Jim. Talk, we were talking earlier about Mace Windu being wasted. I think Billy Dee's being wasted here. Well, that's my problem with this, because obviously a lot of great expense made in producing this, physically building the set, bringing in actors like Patton Oswalt, bringing in all those aliens. Are we just not hip? Is that what's going on here? Have we just hit the wall of pop culture to where we just uh, we're not in on the joke? Well, here's here's the interesting thing is this song West Coast is, is very obscure. And I think the only reason that Chris Hardwick is even aware of this song is the fact that 
Jason Schwartzman appears to be a friend of his. I don't follow Nerdist. I don't follow Chris Hardwick. But with his partnership with Lucasfilm, it's hard to avoid this stuff. The execution was there. The way they produced the song to make it sound like it was being played by Figure and Dan in the modal notes. And as the video goes on, you see these aliens singing these lyrics to the song West Coast in their native tongue, which is creative and clever and complicated. But at the end of the day, I don't care about this song West Coast. It, I have no connection with this tune. And they did little to change the lyrics around to sort of Star Wars it up. Instead of saying, I'd like to put you in my suitcase. He says, I'd like to put you in my cloud car. Okay. Oh, I thought he said clown car. <laughs> I, 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 well, I, yeah. In a clown car. Now, see, that's something. Hey, where there are a bunch of people like pouring out of it, like 50 people to get out of that thing. Well, I'd of course, 49 are chicks and one Billy D. I'd actually like to see that on the course of the forces. <laughs> I'd like to see a clown, clown car. car pull up in front of the main house at Skywalker Ranch. Billy D hops out of the thing with 30 other clowns. <laughs> They pick him up on their shoulders. He takes a <laughs> lightsaber, and that's how the whole thing begins. And he hands the saber off to Jamie King. So, but that's my, that's my problem with this, yeah, is the right. fact that, yes, the execution was there. No, the concept. Well, the concept is there, because having Billy Dee sing karaoke in a Moss Eisley cantina is a brilliant idea. Of course it is. Was he wearing the cape? He wasn't, but he was wearing what has become now his favorite blue Long sleeve button down collared oh, shirt. Oh, gotcha, right. Yeah. Because it sort of resembles the blue shirt that Lando wore in Empire Strikes. Back. Oh, okay, okay. This is part of Billy D's real wardrobe. I, you know what? I'm sorry. At the very end, here's, here's a brilliant moment in this video. At the very end, he sort of hunches over like James Brown used to do, and Lobot puts the cape on him. Oh, I'll, yeah, right. All of James Brown. Like James Brown. So I thought that was a brilliant moment. And it's great to see these cantina characters and stuff. But I mean, I just wanted, I just wish it was based on a, a different tune than this, this obscure song, West Coast, that, Jason, I don't think there's a hypnosis factor involved here. It's obscure. No? Okay. It's obscure. I just, you know, when in doubt, I just assume that I've uh, just, I'm just out of it now. No, this was certainly no hit. I don't even think on an indie scale it was a hit. I think Chris Hardwick and his friends know what it is. But, uh, you know, it provides us with some Billy D singing, um, which is okay. But here's my quote of the week. It's from the actual making of video as Billy D grabs the mic on the karaoke stage to kick everything off. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this song is for all of you scoundrels out there. <laughs> That's a lot of emphasis on scoundrels. All right, that's going to wrap up this week's 
episode of Rebel Force Radio. I want to thank the Chicago White Sox Senior Director of Ticket Sales, Tom Sheridan. Jim, I hang out with a lot of directors of ticket sales these days. Not hanging out with Tom, but uh, you are. And if you're going to be in the Chicago area this weekend, make sure that you get out the White Sox Star Wars Day at U.S. Cellular Field. That's this Saturday, July 20th at 3 p.m. Who are they playing, Jim? The Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves. Interleague action. Very nice. Well, if you would like to play with us over the next six days until we come back to your earbuds, you can do so. Show at rebelforceradio.com. That's the email address. Show at rebelforceradio.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can do so at 708-320-1737. That's 708-320-1RFR. And I encourage everyone listening to leave us a voicemail because we are going to be featuring listener feedback on an upcoming show. Yes. More listener feedback. You can also find us on Twitter at Rebel Force Radio, at Jimmy Mac Radio, and at Jason Swank. Our Facebook page, what a wonderful, wonderful group of folks hanging out there and posting all kinds of crazy stories. Stories that you just don't find anywhere else, and if Jimmy's posting them, they're usually up first. You can preview what's coming up here on the program and so much more. At Facebook.com slash Rebel Force Radio. That's Facebook.com slash Rebel Force Radio. Don't forget to subscribe and review on iTunes if you want to crack at winning the latest book, Star Wars Crucible. We've got two autographed copies, and all you got to do is leave us a review on iTunes. Our official website is RebelForceRadio.com, and we are part of the great programming at ShotGlassDigital.com. There you can find, of course, Rebel Force Radio, Bondcast, Snide Remarks Radio, ADH Divas, Blackhawk Talk, and more programming coming soon. We'll see you next time, guys. Love you all so much for Rebel Force Radio. I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always.